Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Healthcare for Students. I am your host, Sophia Denman, and today I will be talking all about compassion fatigue in healthcare workers and pre-health students. First, you will listen to an interview I did with Elijah Phoenix, who is a registered nurse. Then you will hear a conversation between me, Natalia Garrido, and Chantal Irun Garay, who are both pre-health students who have volunteered and have a close relationship with compassion fatigue. Before I start, I thought I should give all of you some definitions of compassion fatigue. The Oxford Languages Dictionary defines compassion fatigue as indifference to charitable appeals on behalf of those who are suffering, experienced as a result of the frequency or number of such appeals. Meanwhile, the Canadian Medical Association says that compassion fatigue is the cost of caring for others or for their emotional pain, resulting from the desire to help relieve the suffering of others. It is also known as vicarious or secondary trauma, referencing the way that other people's trauma can become their own. The symptoms of compassion fatigue make it more difficult to provide patient care and to perform other duties. So this condition has real consequences for our healthcare providers, which also affects their patients. Without further ado, let's hear from a healthcare worker who has experienced compassion fatigue firsthand. Elijah Phoenix is a registered nurse who works in California. I asked him a few questions about compassion fatigue and how it affects him as a nurse. Have you ever personally experienced compassion fatigue? Okay, when I started out as a nurse, I was pretty much, I was nice to everyone, but not that I'm not nice to people now, but I was just like, I don't know how to explain it authentically. I I didn't have any judgment towards anyone based on experience. So for a year, I had worked as a nurse and it just, there was just, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know if it was like specifically a year, but it just kind of hit me where I just, I stopped caring, but I still had a smile on my face. So there was certain populations that I had less um, compassion for because they were the most work and I felt like the most draining and it's usually it was usually the uh, people who are addicted to drugs because they took up most of my time because I had to constantly give them pain medicine to take care of their pain because they had been so used to something that was stronger that what I could give them wasn't good enough and I would try to get give it to them constantly and it, it still wasn't good enough so I got to a point where it. I was just, it just wasn't there anymore. I didn't, I didn't care. And it's not that I didn't care. It's just that I didn't care, care. Um, it, I felt like I was more of a mask that I was putting on every day and less of me. How would you describe compassion fatigue? Like I had said before, I would, I would describe compassion fatigue as as you going in and wearing a mask and not expressing yourself or expressing your feelings and just keeping everything else on the back burner while you take care of others and you keep a brave face on, but underneath it, you just, there's, 
you feel horrible because you just don't care as much as you used to. It just, that, I don't know if you call it a bone in your body, just kind of disappears. It, it slowly erodes away. How do you deal with compassion fatigue? How do I deal with compassion fatigue? I, I know I get it where it's worse sometimes and other times it's not. And it's hard to remember through the seven, well, the six and a half years that I've worked how it's come on or not, but I don't really do anything for it. I I just go to work and then go home and I don't I don't talk about my day mostly because I feel like if I do, it's just gonna get under my skin and it's gonna make it worse. I exercise, but I guess that's probably probably does help a little bit. But for the most part I just don't um share my my work life with anybody i mean maybe while i'm at work i'll talk about stuff to my my coworkers but that's just that's just coworker stuff does the fact that california only allows you to take care of four patients at a time help with compassion fatigue and do you think other states should implement this working in california as opposed to working in another state has been a big difference. I mean, you can't really look at it so much as patient count as in as you can look at their the severity of their illnesses as to how hard they're, they are going to be to work with that day. But um, numbers do do make a difference. And the more you have, um, the more gets forgotten. I do think that other states should do the same thing that California has. I believe it's about safety. And like I said, you forget things because you have so much going on in your mind that that's a safety issue. You're going to forget something that might be really important for one patient, but remember something for some other patient. Like, oh, I'm going to go get them water or get them something to drink. But then in the middle of that, you were thinking about something else when they started asking you for something. And then you've forgotten that thing, and now you have to try and think in your head, what was it that I forgot while I was being asked to do something else? So the more patients you have, the more likely you have those instances where you forget. How does your experience with nursing differ in Indiana versus California? My experience as a nurse from uh, being in California versus where I worked in Indiana um, is a big difference. There was some days where I would go in and I was, I already have really bad anxiety and I would walk in there and they'd be like, you don't have X amount of nurses and you're going to be taking care of uh, an amount of, of patients, which is something like, and there was one time I took care of 10 patients and I, I also had a trainee. So, and there was another time where I was the charge nurse and I had six patients. And if it wasn't for the fact that somebody had floated to that unit and was being a helper nurse, those patients would never have been taken care of that day, all day, because I was so busy with charge work. So <clears throat> the difference between California and Illinois, I mean, Indiana, has been that um, in Indiana, I took care of the ratio was usually six patients. And here in California, I take care of four, maybe five. 
and six patients, it was always one more was just another, uh, an extra um, person to forget things about. There was always some person that had more needs than another, and you had to take care of those before the other ones, and it was the quiet ones that didn't get the need taken care of that should have been taken care of because it's so busy. So how do you deal with a combative patient? How do I deal with a combative patient? <laughs> actually, I've actually had this happen, and it was a patient who had a bullet in his head. So I was actually trying to be careful of him so that he didn't get hurt, so the, the bullet didn't lodge further in his brain. So first, the first step of dealing with a combative patient is you're supposed to always face them and be closer to the door. But um, this guy was going to leave no matter what, and he didn't care what anybody thought. And he was under a court order to stay. Underneath it all, I felt like if this guy wants to leave, he should leave and he should have the right to do it. But because I have to operate under the law, I had to try and keep him there. Um, he, he wasn't, he was combative, but he wasn't, I don't think he was really trying to hurt anybody. He just wanted to go home, um, or leave. He just wanted to leave, basically. Um, he was actually a drug addict, and I think he wanted to get back out on the street. But, I mean, with combative patients, oh, there was, a, there was another guy that was, was calling me names, and I just called security. This was in California. The first one was in Indiana. The Indiana one, I did not feel like anybody had my back or security was there. With respect to them, they were supposed to be there and they weren't. And they should have circumvented the problem by actually being there to begin with. And then in the one in California, um, the patient couldn't get out of bed, so he couldn't really do anything to me, but he was very verbally abusive. And this, the secretary at the time was like, you can't have him talking to you like that. And I was like, well, I'm just used to being spoken to, however, by the patient. But she's like, you need to call the security. <laughs> so she called security and told them to, to talk to this guy. But come to find out the next day, I came, I came back and I was really worried about getting him again. But he had actually left AMA, which is against medical advice. And because he couldn't walk, they found... A, uh, he, he wasn't under a hold. He could go if he wanted to. He, they found a wheelchair for him and he just wheeled himself out. Where they wheeled him to the, the uh, outside of the, the, um, the hospital and he wheeled himself away. And the sad thing was this guy probably, probably died because he had an infection in his port for his dialysis. But you can only do so much for someone before they're just going to hurt themselves no matter what. Do you think the population that you specifically work with has an influence on compassion fatigue? The population that I worked with before was orthopedic patients. So these people were elective. And then I also had um, trauma patients and drug addicts. And compassion fatigue does have a lot to do with the patient you're the type of patient you're taking care of i find that i have more fatigue or less care about um if i feel like the patient doesn't really care about their own health or needs 
it's it really depends on it does really depend on the patient population if it's somebody um that it's i i know it, it's a disease and that you <clears throat> that uh addiction is a disease and i try to do what i can to help the them but at some point it cuts to where you just can't and you have to give what little you have left to the people that really do care because ultimately they're they're the ones that should be looked after because they they like they might have certain other needs that are that make it difficult for them to take care of themselves like for instance a patient who's handicapped that gets that doesn't get as much gets treated well but doesn't get as much care because you're busy giving pain medicines to someone who's addicted to to heroin and so it you want to remember that while you're taking care of what uh, one patient that is causing issues and needs more from you there's somebody else on the back burner that's not getting the care that they need so how do you not just go in the opposite direction and totally turn your emotion off when you're working? I feel like with compassion fatigue, you you do turn off your emotions. And so, um, and um, part of this is a, anxiety driven. I, I've got to try to um, deal with my anxiety by shutting off parts of my brain so that I can deal I can deal with my job, but um, I really, I really feel like that I do just turn it all off when I, I go to work sometimes. But there's certain patients that like click it back on, that you really want to do your best for them. Like I can't speak Spanish, and I have Spanish patients who I know they don't go see their primary care providers. Like they don't have a primary care provider, and they don't. Kn- necessarily take care of their health because they don't see someone regularly because that just wasn't in their, their what they were taught growing up and and that's not just like the Spanish population that's just there's a there's a population of people that don't understand that you need to go to the doctor at least once a year and um, they just go about their life and then all of a sudden they end up at the hospital and they've got 15 things wrong with them and it's because the they had they had a lot of stuff wrong with them to begin with but they never went to a primary care provider but when i have spanish speaking patients that are there i usually want to do the best i can for them because i can't speak their language and because i know that um they can be left by the wayside because of that and i want to do the best i can for them so i i mostly am feel like I, I'm shut off so that I can perform and um, smile when I need to smile and and uh, nod my head to the patient when I need to nod my head. And for the most part, I mean, well, there are some people that it is authentic for or I am authentic towards them. And then some people it's, I kind of have to put up a wall and you have to kind of choose who that's going to be for the day, depending on how they treat you, because people can be really crappy 
and people can be really nice. But it's the crappy ones you kind of just shut off with and and try to deal with in a customer service way um, without getting into an argument with them or anything like that. Just Just keep smiling and continue to do what you're doing. Have you ever personally experienced caregiver PTSD? Yeah, I've... I've experienced caregiver PTSD. It's, it's usually it's usually when uh, you have a very difficult patient that is not very nice to you and you just you just can't go back into their room for whatever reason because it's a, you go through that trauma again, whatever they're putting you through. And that can be like the patient that's verbally abusive towards you and it it just it's the next day you're like worrying and and sweating thinking oh gosh I got to take this patient again and how am I going to do it <laughs> just have to remember that sometimes you have to tell somebody that um uh there's some patients that you can turn down but I don't don't generally turn down any patient so I kind of put myself into that situation with with the the um traumatic experiences i should i should just um tell the the charge the next day maybe i can't take this patient or something like that but sometimes i think i'm strong enough that i can get through it but i gotta remember that i'm supposed to take care of myself first and i i don't always do that i i i forget and then do you think that cultural or socioeconomic background or just your upbringing in general affects um, compassion fatigue? Um, it probably does because your upbringing teaches you coping skills or the lack thereof. And um, coping is what you need to have to get through compassion fatigue. And it's healthy coping, not just um, unhealthy coping the best way I can describe it. But socioeconomically, I imagine if you were the type of person that went into work every day and didn't have to worry about your paycheck because you are in an upper cl- at a class higher and you're just working because you're working, then you really don't have to worry about that paycheck and maybe you are less likely to care when someone treats you a certain way or... or um, so that you don't burn out because you just you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about the job you can always do something else part of i think of the compassion fatigue is that you just you have to keep going back in and because you have to collect that paycheck it's it just goes hand in hand do you think that there is a type of personality in a healthcare worker that has an easier time dealing with compassion fatigue? I don't think there is. I, given that it's such a huge issue, I think I think a lot of us to begin with have, because we're in the field that we're in, we have a specific personality. I mean, there's some people that go into it and they do it for the money, but for the most part, most people go into it because they care. But I think even the people that go into it for the money, I think even them, they have compassion fatigue. So I don't, I couldn't really see there being a personality unless, 
unless you're a sociopath. And then I don't think you would ever go into that field to begin with. You'd be more inclined to be a sales business, I guess, person that just like climbs the corporate ladder and walks all over everybody on the way up. So, I mean, that might be the only personality, but that's a personality disorder. So I could see that being an issue. And I don't know if that person would even go into the field anyways, but for for the compassion fatigue, it's it's pretty much everybody experiences it at some point or another. And that's why we have, as nurses, we have a, a twisted sense of humor, we are told, because that's just how we deal with it. Now you will hear from Natalia Garrido, who is a pre-health student. She describes her life in college, how she got here, and where she's going. My name is Natalia Garrido, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a pre-med and gender studies major. I hope to go to medical school and be an OBGYN, and hopefully, there's like, I want to do everything in OBGYN, so I don't know what I want to do specifically. It's always been something I had with me when I was younger. I would just like, actually like, perform C-sections, like I'd cut up teddy bears, put actual smaller teddy bears in the the teddy bear and then I like actually performed the operation and to me that was fun like I was a doctor and the nurse um and it's just like the only thing that's ever made full sense to me it's just what I want to do coming into college I had this like realization of like I can't just be a doctor to be a doctor there's something bigger there and like there are like many social inequalities and just inequalities in general general of the system and it's like already so hard to have the time to like educate myself and um to like really fully go into it and so like hearing about the gender studies um like degree and format of the class was just like it helped me you know get the education I needed to to like I guess be a very well-rounded person in the sense of like understanding the human experience and not just like fully immersing myself in like a biology or like a stem um degree because in those like fields you just really focus on like the hard sciences of everything and like what it is but the truth is like we live in a in a society where people have opinions and control other people and we have these systems and it's just like it's a good thing to have both like the medical information, the stuff we know, the facts, and also, like, understand what is behind everything, like, why why certain people can't get the help they need, even though to some people it seems so obvious, like, it's just easy to go, right? But there's, like, barriers, and so to me, that was just, like, very helpful in the sense to, like, do the social work and then also, like, have that tool when I go into medical school, which I found out, like, there's not very good education on, like, sexual and gender diversity in medical school. And, like, there's just a really poor education system there. And if it there is, it's, like, very little. And it's usually not as diverse as it needs to be or uh, non-stigmatizing. I think one of my other goals is to really help my community, the Hispanic community, 
Um, just with like the barrier between like healthcare and like the type of malpractice that can happen when there's like clear barrier of language and sometimes it's not like interpretation is not given like that still happens in a lot of like border towns and that's like hopefully one of my other ambitions is to like actually work in a hospital near a border town um and also one of my other goals is to low-key like kind of just keep adopting all the kids like I just want to like I just want to help a bunch of kids who might not get the opportunity and try to give them a home and like try to give them a leverage that they might have not gotten in like their um their wherever they resided in um and another goal is literally for me to move to new york and be the it girl like okay not the it girl but just like different and mysterious and like you know the girl who's like She's into jazz and she's like reserved and she's a doctor and like low key everybody wants to be her. Like that's the third goal. I think my proudest accomplishment was this research experience that I did and the way that I like did it all on my own. And like I found out about it all on my own. And so like especially being like first generation in college and like not having that experience and like exposure to that like finding it and then getting the award to do the research was absolutely amazing and then what I did with it and like being able to present in a different state and like to really like even share with like my pre-med peers about the research which was mainly about that I was looking at like the views of sexuality and gender in pre-med students and like how we should go about fixing this problem of how like a lot of medical doctors or like healthcare professionals in general seem to have this lack of education even though they really want to like actually help and make a a inclusive and safer safer uh community inside the hospitals and so I think that was like my biggest accomplishment just because I did it all on my own and I did these things that I thought I never would and I you know I didn't even have to pay for all of them and like just being also a Latina who was able to do the research and to go that far. It's like I carry the accomplishment that I did it, and then I also did it for, like, my people too. If you looked up, like, views of sexuality and gender um, from pre-health students or something like that, and you just look up my name and Claudia Geis, you could find the research article, which is published on the undergraduate research journal at the University of Utah. And, yeah. But can compassion fatigue affect pre-health students like Natalia? And if so, how? You will now hear more from Natalia and one other pre-health student who both have big experiences with compassion fatigue in just the beginning of their journey to become healthcare professionals. I'm here with Natalia Garrido and Chantal Irungaray. Natalia is a pre-med student and Chantal is a pre-nursing student. Both of them attend the University of Utah and have also volunteered for 4th Street Clinic. 4th Street Clinic works specifically to serve the homeless population of Salt Lake City, Utah. I talked with Chantal and Natalia about compassion fatigue, how it affects them as pre-health students, and more. Hello, my name is Chantal Irungaray. I'm a second year pre-nursing student and my experience with healthcare has been volunteering at 4th Street Clinic for about a year, which primarily serves the unsheltered population. And I'm Natalia Garita and I'm gender studies major and also pre-med. And I also have 
volunteer for maybe like a year at Fourth Street Clinic as well. Have you ever personally experienced compassion fatigue? Yes, I think like at first when I started volunteering at Fourth Street, there was like such an urge to care and be like 150% with every patient. And I think it was just looking, just like the amount of people I had to deal with. And sometimes the way that they also treated us also really sucked. And it was just like, I'm really trying to help you and like have empathy and you know, you dismiss me and like they they act like that just because like a lot of people also just dismiss, dismiss them in the clinic. So it's very much a cycle. And so I just remember like wanting to care and be like, there's a mission here and like there's a bigger purpose and like every interaction I have needs to be my 150%. And then it was just like I'd get tired, like I'm an introvert and I talk. And it was just so tiring, especially from switching from languages, too. And, like, I'm a, I would say I'm intermediate Spanish, but it was just very much a struggle to, like, give myself that 150% that they, that they deserve, but was also very unfair for me to push myself to these limits that I shouldn't have to. But in this system and this environment, like, I want to do better for those people. And... I just found myself like towards the end, just like kind of like slowly numbing myself, trying to like put myself in a way that like I'd still care, but like in a way that didn't hurt me. And that's what sucked because it felt like I was becoming part of the problem and like that it's my fault. And it was just like, how do I take care of myself while also taking care of a patient? And yeah. One of the reasons why I quit was I started to realize that like, I had just, I was starting to experience some of the compassion fatigue and like I was becoming numb and I was like, there's really no purpose here because everybody was just like treating the patients kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, you're in line, but it doesn't matter. And for them, like the patients, it was just like, it mattered a lot. And it was just like, I was just seeing myself and like, I'm not even doing anything. So I quit. And it was just like the way I quit, it was, it just sucked because I saw myself not being the full potential. And it's just like it did not, I was not able to serve people the way I wish I could. I would say I definitely had an experience with compassion fatigue at the clinic, especially at the very beginning of my volunteering there. I I started right at like winter and that's like one of the hardest seasons for sure, just because they're sleeping outside. So they were coming in like asking for socks, like, and they would come in with like their toes amputated or just asking for like gloves or having like lost all of their things. And I think that was what like was really hitting me because it was patient after patient, like telling me like very similar, like really difficult stories, obviously. And I think after that first, um, the, my first shift there, I was just so tired and burnt out and especially seeing a lot of like Spanish speak, Spanish speaking people also like experiencing this stuff knowing like that's like my community as well um like I remember like my first few shifts like I would just like go home like crying and like feeling so so bad for all these patients and I think I also like with time you do start like getting really desensitized like the work you start doing there and I feel like I you start becoming complacent within like the system that is like the nonprofit industrial complex where you know like this isn't like the true solution to things and you can see that with how long like patients were having to wait to even get like basic medical services. So you kind of mentioned this. How do you not just go the opposite direction and totally turn your emotion off when working? Do you think you can find a balance at all? I feel like it was easier to continue having compassion, especially with this population and like how hard life is already. So I personally just like chose like just 
try to help how I could, which I was just a volunteer. So for me, a lot of it was just conversations with them, asking them about their day, really trying to give them a, like a personal experience because they're so often like disregarded in society. And to me, it was just really easy to be like continue to be compassionate throughout like my time there. And especially with it being like such a huge like migrant population, like that also just made me feel really connected to a lot of these people, like being able to speak Spanish with them and like ask them about their day and their kids and like their life experiences. Like to me, it was never really an issue of like finding compassion for this population. So I think like I learned the skill prior one time when I went to an informational interview with the uh, OBGYN and I like saw in this hospital like there was just like in her room that there was like a bunch of papers on the wall that said like step one like take a breath remember when you leave it at the door you leave it here don't take it home process you know talk about like all the traumatic things that happen and like I kind of took that skill with me because I just already am like very sensitive to conflict and so like I feel like that would just turn me off if like I couldn't do something or somebody called me out and I always wanted to be my best but you know not all time all the time can you do your best and like these people like you don't want to say something and they they think it the other way because they're just constantly met with like they're constantly met with all these negative like attitudes and these these stereotypes and so it was very much like I needed to be my best and so I remember for me like the experience like I try to remember when I left, like keep at the door, like whatever bad happened to me, keep it, keep it at the door. And then when I come in, I come in with my best mood. I'd leave whatever happened at home or at school at the door. And I think just looking at every patient, I was just like, they have, they're coming here to get help. Like they're struggling and they deserve kindness and they deserve to be given like greetings and like to be given like a good care and be seen as a human. I think that's a big thing, like to be seen as human and to not be seen as like beneath or anything like that. And um, I think it was just remembering that everybody has a story. And I think that was also something really beautiful of like understanding like their story and their perspective and their like challenges and struggles to why, you know, why, why like some people would come, some people who were unsheltered would come and like explain. And like, it was just, it was just like a time to like be empathetic and also just like, I think leaving when I left, whatever I heard that might have like negatively affected me, like leaving it at the door, but also like taking these perspectives and looking um, when I in these other places I go in these environments and thinking about like their opinions, how they would feel, their experiences and like thinking, like including their perspective in like everything I do. Do you think there is, like, like do you think pre-med students specifically have a different type of compassion fatigue or face compassion fatigue at all? Okay, so with, like, compassion fatigue, I feel like the whole system of becoming a health professional or a doctor is so messed up that you're burnt out in school. And you might, for a normal, like, I would think that from, like, my peers, a lot of them don't really engage with, like, diverse populations. Or, like, they'll understand it, but they don't really engage, or that's not their, like long-term goal or one of their like morals in that sense but like you'll be like burnt out with schoolwork then they want you to do all this volunteering and you learn about those experiences there and then you do like the research everything else and you're so burnt out by the graduate by the time you graduate then you apply for medical school and you're even more burnt out so then you go into the field and you're burnt out and you're like you already have that kind of stress like you're already not balanced and it might just be easy to just turn off your emotions and that's what sucks like i see that with a lot of doctors they're like oh i want to help people but they're just so burnt out 
from the long process of like a system that of a system that doesn't try to f- fix the problem it just keeps you in a cycle and patients are affected uh healthcare workers are affected affected by this and it just sucks because you never leave the burnout and then the burnout comes into your work and it just sucks I think just to add on to that, it's just how capitalism like enables compassion fatigue. Like like again, like how Natalia was saying, how they, if they make you go through like this extremely difficult and tiring schoolwork, they make you have a, a whole bunch of extracurriculars. You need to get patient care hours, and you're stuck in the system, stuck in the school system for years and years and years, trying to do training because you care. And then you're stuck with like hundreds and thousands of dollars of debt. So you're kind of really stuck with this career at some point. Even and then you're just forced to like try to give your all to your patients when you have like time constraints with how much time you're able to like talk to a patient because you're like so overworked so overburdened with like so many patients and it's just like this whole and never-ending cycle of trying to get like squeeze the most out of like healthcare workers and not compensating them enough and patients are really getting like the like the bad end of things like they're not getting like the best possible health care because of this i also feel like as you like work and you go through these, you get the education, you get the actual work experience, you realize that in this system, you can't do anything unless you're like the up power or even then just like the whole healthcare system itself. And you just end up feeling so like, like powerless. And you know, those feelings of like powerless can like come off of like, okay, well nothing that I actually do or like the, like I can't even, like Chantel said like 15 minutes, like what can I actually do with that 15 minutes? And then I think that just like really intimidates the idea of, of like helping, like fully helping their patients. And it's just really overwhelming. And so like the system doesn't support it. And just the the whole process to become a healthcare worker also really sucks. And um, the patients really get, like Chantel said, that the worst part of the, the, the short end of the stick. <laughs> and I think to add on to it from a nursing perspective, being it like such a female dominated career, like there's the way like the patriarchy manifests itself there, especially with the hierarchical system of hospitals where nurses are like constantly having to like push and prod at doctors to like care a little bit more when nurses are the ones that spend this like personal time with the patients. And nurses are getting burnt out at like a crazy high rate because they're not compensated as well. They're working long hours. And we saw this with COVID, like how like the necessity of nurses and how we're constantly having shortages. Like this should be a career that is like sustainable because it should be sustainable because they provide like amazing like care and work for like their patients. Do you think there's a type of personality in a healthcare worker that has an easier time dealing with compassion fatigue or even just Maybe to change the question a little bit, like, is there a type of personality that would be better in a healthcare worker that you would like to see more in a healthcare worker? Or are there any, like, downsides, like, that you've noticed in doctors that have, like, a certain type of personality? Um, I think we always notice this, especially I feel like um, women of color are also always facing the short end of the stick with compassion fatigue because they work so hard to get to this position. They obviously care so much about their patients. And then the way just racism and misogyny just manifests itself, like they're also just exerting so much 
into this career to like provide good like good care for their patients especially because they like they wanted to see themselves represented in healthcare and they have to work like that extra mile to get there and it just becomes like a huge cycle of being like burnt out and we see it again with especially white um healthcare workers like there is like these racial biases that are always in healthcare like there's con- constant studies of like black women being treated worse, be- like their issues and concerns not being seen as well, like um, healthcare workers not being as empathetic with this patient population. And I've definitely personally experienced that with um, white healthcare workers not taking like my health concerns really seriously, not really like giving me the time of day with my like with my experiences, too. I definitely think that like healthcare workers that have not experienced helping out different communities than theirs definitely might not even have compassion fatigue just because you're not even exposed to these experiences and these thoughts. To add to Chantel's discussion, like I think as a woman of color who's going to go into medicine, I think there's like this really big, because I've experienced being treated differently in healthcare and seeing people like my grandma, my mom being treated other and like seeing all these other experiences from like uh, online and just like studies. It's like as a person of color, like I should be giving extra effort so they can feel included and giving that extra effort like takes a lot out of someone especially if you're giving 150 and it's like I'm trying to be the best I can and I'm trying to overwork myself over like experience compassion fatigue in order for someone else to you know get that experience uh, get that health care that they deserve. So do you think your cultural or socioeconomic background or anything about your background or your upbringing affect compassion fatigue or affect how you are treated as a patient or how uh, you uh, work as a healthcare worker? Mm, I would say like definitely 100 percent, especially being um, a woman of color and trying to navigate the healthcare system, especially as a low income. Like I was uninsured for a long time. And I think that definitely clearly had an effect on how it was treated just add on top of that the fact that I was Latina like I was always getting comments about how I was aggressive or how like my concerns were that serious and it would just really prolong like my ability to get care in like an adequate time and there's just like a really like lack of compassion from like a lot of healthcare workers that I that I that I would talk to that that would treat me that and it wasn't like a coincidence to me that the majority of them were white because any anytime if it was a girl they would be like a little nicer if it was a woman healthcare provider but um yeah my experience like with healthcare system has always not been very positive and i think that that goes alongside with like my family and um their difficulty to also get healthcare especially because they are undocumented like that also like manifested like a whole bunch of different problems and like getting them treatment like an adequate like amount of time too i think to add to that like i would like see a healthcare worker and like they would just be so bland with me and i'm like is this like the kind of healthcare you give to everyone and i couldn't tell it's like oh you're tired fatigue like okay the compassion fatigue or are you just like you know your biases are coming through and like you just don't want to treat you know me you see me as a hispanic girl you see my mom and my grandma and you're like oh, okay that you know in some reason or way like that's not a big important issue to like help that person but it was just like very conflicting because i was like what's going on you know and i just think as being like a hispanic woman and also really loving medicine and just seeing the way that like my grandma was treated and the way my mom was treated and just like everybody in general and not even in healthcare but just like in other systems i was like Every time I would see, like, at Forestry Clinic, like, a Hispanic patient, I think that could have been my grandma. Like, I need to give them the 
best. Like, I need to go 150 because I don't know, maybe once they pass the door, like, they're just going to get mediocre health care. And I was like, I got to do the best I can for them. And so, like, that automatically puts me for, like, to go through that compassion fatigue. Like, I already know that this it's going to happen. And so I'm trying to learn, like, it's on me now to, like, learn these, like, habits and skills to help me cope and help me do better and also just surrounding yourself with people just like you so you guys can share that so you guys can like um you know like you need to walk through these these traumatic things that can happen to you and like as well as just like when you see that you can't really help your patient as much as you want to and just like really talking through it in all honesty like i since i haven't been in the healthcare system for like a couple months but like, I honestly am a little scared just to go back because to deal with that cycle and like having to like just readjust myself and trying to understand when I need to take care of myself to continue to give my 100%, my, like my 100% my compassion. And then also in a weird way, I think it also like inspires me and motivates me to do, to like focus and like do better. And it's just like, at the end of the day, like I just think about their individual experiences and how they're each human and they're, they want they want to be cared for and they want to be seen as important, just like everybody else. And so I think it just, in a way, analyzing how like messed up this cycle of the healthcare system is, it just helps me like acknowledge these things, try to find better coping mechanisms and just continue to do the work because like, again, the patients deserve good healthcare and I'm gonna try my best to give what I can. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthcare for Students. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host and the creator of this podcast, Sophia Denman. Have a great rest of your day and goodbye.